Hi, I'm Wayne Hines and the pastor of Grace Church Australia. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We hope it is inspirational and it equips you to make known the name of Jesus. You can stay connected with us during the week by going to gracegathering.online. I want to start with a story if I can. I'm not known for being overly handy. So I'm not gifted in that way. So I'm okay in some things, but, you know, like God's given me a brain and I'm very strategic in thinking and that kind of stuff. But ask me to build something. I could build you something if you want it to look good and to be square. I'm probably not the person to talk to. But um, recently I had to replace a uh, a door handle on uh, one of the bedrooms for uh, the kids. Now they've never seen dad do anything like this. For them, it was kind of like miraculous. You know, it was, it was like manna coming down from heaven. Dad's actually fixing something in the house. And I got to that part where, um, you, are the, where you need to put the lock set, I think it is. Um, I forget what it's actually called. But I had, to, I had to chisel something into the door because the handle that I was replacing was a different size. And thank you to Ross for allowing me to borrow one of his chisels and to, uh, to get it back into one piece. But as I was kind of doing that, and I had a couple of helpers, um, you know, who, um, who wanted just to be involved and to help Dad, and it was kind of like, well, Dad's not really 100% sure what he's doing. I'm not sure this is the moment I should be instructing you in what to do. But as I was kind of doing that, I was reminded of a phrase, which is uh, the title of my message this morning. And it was this phrase that I'd heard recently as I was, um, you know, fixing this door. Big doors swing on little hinges. And it's a phrase that I heard and it sort of really stuck with me. And it's something I've just kind of been stewing on and talking to God about and sort of saying, well, well, what does that actually mean? What does that mean? And uh, so what I want to do today is I want to just unpack that a little bit because um, it's quite amazing whether it's your standard household door or whether it is the doors of Noah's Ark that you'll see on the screen there. So this is a photo I took at uh, the Ark Encounter, which is a full-size replica of Noah's Ark, which is in Kentucky. And the photo doesn't do it justice. Because these doors are huge. These doors are bigger than the ceiling of this building that we're in right now. They are massive. You've got to think, giraffes were going through these doors and elephants and all sorts of various critters and animals that God had created. But when you look at the size of those doors, look at how small in relation to that that the hinges are. They are big doors, but they only work because of the little hinges that are on those doors. And so it sort of got me me thinking, well, what does that matter for you and me? What does it matter how big the hinge is on the door? Well, and I, I thought sometimes, you know, it's because what we can actually do is we can dismiss the impact that hinges have on your door. So maybe this morning as you walked out the front door, did you think about the hinges? Probably not. Probably like me, your thought was, have I locked the door? Is it closed properly? All that kind of stuff. But you didn't think about this little hinge that makes the door work. I'm going to suggest that's true. For us, sometimes what we actually do is we don't think about the impact that we can have when it comes to furthering the kingdom of God. We don't think about the impact that a church can have, a small church can have, 
because we can question, well, does it really make a difference? You know, are we really making a difference? And I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I regularly feel like that. It's one of the things I really battle with when it comes to serving God because I know what I'm called to do, but never do I actually feel qualified to do what God's called me to do. And I felt that way for many, many, many years of ministry. Almost every day I struggle with who God has called me to be and what he has called me to do. It's just a, and I actually think it's a healthy thing because it, it keeps me relying upon the spirit of God to serve him. Because, you know, if I came out, you know, chest all out, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Do you know what? That's when we kind of just put God to the side and go, oh, I've got it. It's all right, God. You just have a, have a bit of an afternoon nap. I got it when I need to, I'll wake you up. You know, it's that kind of thing. But I struggle believing that I'm good enough to lead my family, that I'm good enough to pastor a church. I struggle to reconcile at times what the Holy Spirit is saying to what I'm actually seeing. So, you know, the Spirit of God talks about, you know, to Jackie and I, and he talks about, you know, what he wants to do through Grace Church. He wants to transform our community in this region and all those kind of things. And so we grab hold of it and we go, yes, God, amen, amen. But honestly, there's then moments when I go, well, we're just a little church in Morissette or Bonnells Bay in Southern Lake Macquarie. But big doors swing on little hinges. And so I want to talk through that today. One person can make a huge difference. One church can make a huge difference. One nation globally can make a huge difference. You probably in the last 24 hours have heard about a cricketer by the name of Shane Warne. Sadly passed away early yesterday morning, our time. But I don't know if you've followed it and seen the outpouring of grief, but also the adoration that has poured out and the difference, the impact that one person has made. Now, obviously, you know, Shane had some challenges in life, let's put it that way. So he's not necessarily one that we can follow, but I'm using that as an example of the impact that one person can have. Think about Martin Luther. You might not know Martin Luther. He was a German priest. He sparked the Protestant Reformation. And he has, quote, changed the course of Western history for the better. One man who said, I'm not going to settle. God's got something bigger. So he was obedient to what God asked him to do. Change the course of Western history. This man on your screen is Steve Jobs, co-founder of Apple and also, for the kids, the Pixar Animation Studios, if you've seen a Pixar film. I'm going to suggest all of you have a smartphone. You all have a smartphone because this technological visionary, many, many years ago now, turned how we communicate upside down. Well, what about this man? Nils Bolan. I know you're thinking, Nils Boland, who is he? Well, 
He was a Swedish engineer and he developed the three-point seatbelt that you and I use in our cars today, back in the late 1950s. He worked with Volvo in 12 months, developed and implemented it, and he is credited with saving millions and millions of lives because he designed the seatbelt. Three men who all in their own way were a little hinge that was able to support a big door. They all made a huge difference. And as I kind of was thinking about it this week and, and pondering this, you know, this expression, I was like, well, what does that mean for us in the church? What does that mean as followers of Jesus? How do we contextualize that for us? And here's what I wrote. With Jesus at the center, we can have an impact that is much bigger than our footprint. Now, I don't mean our literal footprint, but if you want to think about it in those terms, you can. But when Jesus is in the middle of everything that we do, he can use us for great things. He can use the little hinge to open big doors, whether that's for us personally, whether that's for us as a church. Now, I thought about it and I went, that sounds great, Wayne, but it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. How can that be? And then I was reminded again and again by the Holy Spirit that a lot of things in the kingdom of God don't make sense. They just don't. It is an upside-down kingdom. And here's an example of that for you. Matthew 20, verse 16. So those who are last will now be first, and those who are first will be last. How does that make sense? How can you be last, but then you're first? You were first, and then you're last. Imagine crossing the finish line at the Olympics. You're thinking, gold medal. Then the adjudicator comes up and goes, are you actually finished last? Like, that wouldn't go down too well in the world that we live, would it? But that's how the kingdom of God is. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. There's many more passages that I could speak about when it comes to that. But here's the thing. When we follow Jesus, when we put Jesus at the center, what makes no sense in the natural makes complete sense in the spiritual. What makes no sense naturally makes complete sense. And I think God's strategy from the beginning has always been to take a small group of people and to use them to make a difference and change the world. How many disciples do you think Jesus could have had? He could have had tens of thousands. There were a lot of people that were following him. But what was God's ultimate plan? I'm just going to take 12 ordinary people and I'm going to use them to light a fire and for the church to grow. Little hinges they were. He wants to use people that are hungry and thirsty for the things of God to bring about revival and transformation. That is God's plan. If you are hungering for more of him, if you are thirsting after the things of God, he's going to use you to make a difference. You are the person that God wants to use in your community. You are the person that God wants to use to reach your neighbours. You are the person that he wants to use to bring about transformation and revival. I wrote it like this. 
You are the hinge that connects others to Jesus. You are that hinge. You are the thing, sorry, you are the hinge that brings people to salvation and eternal life. That's what you do. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, here I am, I'm knocking at the door. If you open the door, but how does the door get opened? The door gets opened because there's a hinge on it. That's you and I. We are the hinge that God wants to use in our community. And that very much is my heart and our heart for our community outreach, which is on in a couple of Sundays' time, March 20. This isn't about us going outside and putting on some big event and inviting our community to join us. That's not what it's about. This is about us being the church. This is about us moving beyond the walls of a building and gathering together. And it's about us being deliberate in going to reach people that we know aren't walking with Jesus. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It's just about maybe it's your neighbour. Maybe it's someone across the road. Maybe what you do is you go and walk the streets and you pray. There are so many ways that if you are willing to follow what God is leading you in, that you can actually be reaching out into our community. So two Sundays' time, don't come here. Because a church service isn't happening, but the church is being the church in our community. Amen? What I want to do is I want to head to a passage of Scripture um, and look at a man who, I don't know, I like him. He's one of those cameos, though, when it comes to your Bible. Kind of pops in, don't hear too much more about him, and then that's it. But he made such a great impact, and that's what I want to have a look at when it comes to our message today. How the actions of one man led to revival in the land. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 6. That's where we're going to start today. And we're going to look at the story of a man named Stephen. I love this man. The impact that he had when it came to spreading the gospel. Now, just by way of um, some background for you, we actually don't know very much about Stephen at all. He doesn't appear anywhere in Scripture before Acts 6. He's in Acts 6 and Acts 7. Then we hear about him one more time and that's it. Okay, but here's what we do know about him. He was likely a Hellenistic Jew. Okay, that's what most scholars think. So that means he was a foreign-born Jew. So he he wasn't born in Israel. He was foreign-born. And at the start of Acts 6, we see that the apostles are putting a strategy into place because they essentially say, look, we don't have time and we're not called to go and um, be, be doing and helping all of these people and helping these widows and, and giving them food and assistance like that. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to actually preach the gospel. We're called to share the word of God. So they put a strategy in place where they institute a number of um, people, which in the Bible it talks about them as deacons, who are to run this food program. And Stephen is one of those. Um, There were some issues with this program. Uh, The food wasn't being distributed equally. And so Stephen and some other men actually come in. 
So that's the first time that we actually hear about him. We don't know too much more other than that. And from the study that I've done this week, that's all I could get for you. But that's actually not important. Because what's important is how this one man is used by God. And so I want to very quickly just look at a couple of things to note when it comes to Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it tells us, here's a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Make a note of that. He's full of faith. The Spirit of God lives inside him. A couple of verses later, in verse 8, we read that Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. So he's full of faith, he's full of the Spirit of God, he's full of grace, and he's also got the power of God flowing through him. And that allows him to perform amazing miracles and signs among the people. In verse 10, none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So he's full of faith. He's full of the Spirit of God. He's full of grace. The power of God, the dunamis power of the Spirit of God is flowing through him. God's using him to perform many miracles. And then he's also got wisdom beyond understanding because it says none of them could stand against the wisdom that Stephen had. Can I remind you, this is one man. This is not a collection of people. This is not um, multiple individuals. This is one man who is full of everything that God has for him. One man who is hungering and thirsting for the things of God. My summary was this. Stephen is an ordinary man. He's a little hinge. But... He is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God is using him in a mighty way to change the community in which he lives. I don't know about you, but I want to be Stephen. Ironically, my middle name is close to Stephen. It's Stephen. I don't know that that makes any difference or not, but I just thought about that then. But the thing about Stephen is, he's not from the lineage of Jesus. You know, it's not at the, the start of Matthew, I think it is. You know, we go through the whole lineage of Jesus. Stephen's name doesn't appear there. Remember, he's a Hellenistic Jew. He wasn't born in Israel. He's a foreign-born Jew. Some would suggest, oh, well, that means he's discounted. No, it doesn't. God can use anybody, Jew or Gentile. Here in Bonnells Bay, Southern Lake Macquarie, somewhere else around the world. Stephen's not one of the chosen ones. He's not one of the apostles. He's none of that. Essentially, by himself, Stephen is nothing. He's just an ordinary man. Yet, he's got a heart that beats in unison with the Father's heart. His desire is that God would use him to make a difference, that God would use him to change the world. Now, for the rest of Acts 6, and we won't go through it, but essentially what happens is Stephen faces a whole bunch of false accusations. 
A lot of things are thrown at him. He's accused of blaspheming God. Ultimately, he's arrested and he's brought before the high council, the religious leaders of the day. In Acts 7, it's probably one of my favourite chapters of the Bible because Stephen doesn't hold back. He comes before the religious leaders, the high council, and they say, here is the accusation against you. You have been accused of saying this, 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 and this. And I encourage you to read chapter 7 today sometime. Because Stephen doesn't back down. He doesn't deny the accusation. He doesn't actually confirm the accusation either. What he does is he shows the Israelites, he takes them on a journey through the Old Testament. It's quite amazing what he does. And he shows them how the religious leaders, how they failed to see past their stubbornness and how they turned away from God and how they persecuted and how they killed anyone who spoke God's word. He just takes scripture and he says, here's everything that's happened. And he lets the high council, the religious leaders, convict themselves and have to look inward in terms of what is happening. So, and he basically says, look, in the, in the same way that um, the Jews refused to listen to Jesus during his ministry on earth and they killed him, that's essentially what these high priests are doing. The same kind of thing. It's pretty powerful and confronting stuff. I want you to read it through that lens if, when you get a chance. For me, and maybe for you, I'm both encouraged by Stephen, but I'm also highly challenged by him. Because I've had times where, like him, I've stood up and I've stood on the truth of Scripture, I've stood on the truth of the Bible, but honestly, and thankfully these are in the the distant past, but there have been times when I haven't done that. There have been times when I've shied away from the truth because I've been concerned about the consequence to me or to my family. That's human nature to do that. But I want to encourage you. Stand on the truth of who you are in Christ, the truth of God's word because it will set you free. It'll keep you safe. It'll set you free. Some challenging questions for you. When you're faced with false accusations or people that question your beliefs, when people throw science at you to discredit the truth of God's word, where do you stand? I think the whole debate that goes on this time that we live you know, where people want to put this sort of battle up, or this science versus the truth of God's Word. Science is only ever catching up with the truth of the Bible. It catches up. It's playing catch-up constantly. But if you're in that situation, do you double down? And do you stand on the truth? Do you tell people more about Jesus, even though they don't want to hear it? 
Or do you stay quiet? Or maybe, this really frustrates Jackie and myself, maybe you dilute the gospel so you water it down a little bit. The world doesn't need a watered-down gospel. It's confronting and challenging for a reason. And we are the carriers of that truth. Now, that's not the heart of my message today, but I want to say this. Our world needs to hear more of God's truth and less of man's opinions. It needs to hear more of the kingdom gospel and less of the world's self-proclaimed gospel. We are the church. We are God's mouthpiece here on this planet right now. And we are the ones that need to speak with the truth and the authority that we have been given from heaven. I hope you grabbed that this morning. I digress. Let's get back to Stephen. Because that's exactly what he did. He just spoke the truth. He said, it doesn't matter the consequences. It doesn't matter the accusations that are being thrown at me. I'm just going to speak the truth. And here's the thing. It didn't go down well. It didn't go down well at all. In verse 54 of Acts 7, we read that the religious leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. Now, can I remind you that the alleged accusation is actually just the history that Stephen quoted? All he did was quoted back the history of what had happened. It was taken as accusation, but it was actual truth. So much so that the religious leaders shook their fist in rage at him. I can just imagine it. Oh, that's Stephen. Oh, he's rocking the boat. I want to be a boat rocker. I don't know, maybe most of you are staying on land. But have you ever been so angry with someone because you've wanted to share the love of Jesus with them? And they just dismiss you. They don't even want to have that conversation. Been so frustrated. It's like, oh, if only you could receive the truth. If only you knew that following Jesus is not a list of rules. But there is freedom and there is love and there is grace and there is so much more. I get so frustrated when people don't want to have that conversation. But don't allow that to discourage you from continuing to share the gospel. I remember once, some time ago, I was um, corresponding via email with a very well-known Australian author um, and uh, journalist. He's also a staunch atheist. And so we were having this back... I don't even know how it started, but we were having this backwards and forwards engagement. And, you know, so I, I would say something and he'd come back and refute it. And I was like, this is a fight that, I want, that I'm up for. Sometimes I just walk away, I'm like... So I would go back and then he would come back and we'd have this like backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. Now, I knew that there was no way that we were finding any common ground at all. I knew that from the outset. But at that moment, I thought, no... I need to stand up for the truth. And this man needs to hear that truth. Now, he can dismiss it. He can shake his angry fist at me and go, oh, that pesky Christian blocking up my inbox. I didn't care. 
I had the opportunity and so I was able to speak the truth. Now, we parted agreeing to disagree, but from time to time I still pray for him. You know, when I see his newspaper column, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that atheist. I'll pray for him. Still believing that the hardness of heart and the worldly mindset that God can change that. We'll wait and see. If it happens, I'll let you know. Stephen didn't back down either. Stephen said, this is a fight that I am going to undertake. And so he stood his ground. He spoke the truth. Now, at the end of Acts 7, if you've read this passage, Stephen dies. So he's martyred. He's dragged, kicking and screaming... Actually, he's not kicking and screaming. We'll come to that in a minute. But he's dragged out and um, stoned to death. So in history, he becomes the first Christian martyr. Now, you might get to that point and think, well, great, Wayne. So you want me to stand up for the truth so that I can get stoned and die? I don't know if that's God's plan for you or not. Here's what I do know, though. Death is not the end. It's not the worst thing that can happen to you because there's an eternity of a party with Jesus. What I'm going to do is press pause. I'm going to leave you on that cliffhanger today and we're going to continue looking at Stephen, this little hinge, and I'll show you next week the big door that was opened because of his willingness to stand on the truth and to speak what God was asking him to speak. Before I finish, though, can I leave you with a bit of light and a bit of hope? I don't want to leave you with you going, what a downer. The guy died. And so you're walking around this week going, huh, not much hope in that, is there? The guy stood up, bad guys stoned him, dragged him around the city and now he's dead. I don't want to do that. So in order to give you a little bit of hope, here's what I need to do. I need to go back just a couple of verses at Acts chapter 7. Because here's what we read. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, remember how he was full of the power of God and the Spirit of God before he still... As he knows he's about to die, he's still full of the Holy Spirit. But look at this. Look at how beautiful this is. He gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, that's the religious leaders, those that were stoning him and wanted him dead. Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in place of honor at God's right hand. If that's how I'm going to go out, gosh, that's what I want to see. If that's the last thing that I see. Do we read? Does it sound like there's any fear in Stephen? Not at all. He's in the presence of God. It's like, wow. It's almost like whatever's happening to him in the natural 
has no impact at all because he's in the presence of God. And that's what can happen. When we stand on the truth of God, we're protected. We've shown something much better than anything we can see in the natural. So I'm going to finish there. And I promise, because you're possibly thinking right now, what is this big door swing on little hinges? What's that got to do with anything about Stephen? I'm going to show you that next week, I promise you. It'll make perfect sense. He was a normal man, full of passion for the things of God. He opened a door for the gospel to spread like wildfire. It's going to be worth the wait, I promise you. If you're away next week, make sure you join us online. Today, though, I want to finish with something that June Taylor shared with me. It's a prophetic word from the Canadian Hammer. Now, when I first heard it was from the Canadian Hammer, I thought, this is a wrestler. Wouldn't that be a great wrestling name? Here comes the Canadian Hammer, you know. Like that, like that would be it. But that's not what it is at all. That's just where my mind went. It's a prophetic community in Canada. Sorry for those that I scared. Now, I'm not going to um, read through all of the prophecy just for the sake of time this morning, but there is a, a passage of it that I want to share with you. Here's part of what it says. Keep your eye on Australia, for I am about to light it up, says the Lord. I'm about to release my fire across the land and I shall blow upon the burning ones who are standing in my ways. They shall ignite cities, towns and regions. Australia, for you have been forced down under and yes, from that place, I am going to birth a movement, a revival. Can we say amen, church? It gets better. Are you thinking, how's it get better? Well, it continues. I'm not bringing it through the mega church as many may have expected, for they have had their chance. They compromised and now we pay the price. For this movement I shall birth in the hearts of my people. I am coming to them in supernatural ways and encounters. They shall be empowered by me, says the Lord. My word and my spirit shall burn within them. That's exactly what we saw in Stephen. It's exactly what we saw in him. A fire was burning in him. A passion was burning in him to further the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but a word like that excites me. It excites me because God, this new move of God, isn't coming through the big mega churches. Not that there's anything wrong with them. They have a place. But it clearly says... They've had a go. God's doing something new. What's he doing? He's opening big doors with little hinges. Little churches like Grace Church, Lake Macquarie. He's going, these people, they are on fire for me. These are the ones that I can use. These are the ones that I can use. God is going to use people like you and me to bring about transformation and revival. I'm ready. I'm ready to to do that. I'm ready to serve him. I'm ready to go. And the thing that I love so much about this prophetic word for Australia was its alignment with God, what the Holy Spirit has been talking to our leadership about here at Grace Church. 
we're excited about the role that we get to play. Our big God is using little churches and little people like you and me, ordinary people. But we serve an extraordinary God. And that's what, that's what Stephen was, an ordinary man serving an extraordinary God. When we're passionate about the things of God, when we're on fire to further the kingdom of God, that's when he's going to use us to sweep our nation, to sweep our region, to sweep our community and bring about revival and transformation. I wonder if you can believe that today, church. I wonder if you can believe that you, you, whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us online, that you'll be part of a movement of the Holy Spirit where we'll see supernatural moves of God. Jackie talked about it last week. Healings, miracles, people raising from the dead. God is still moving today. I wonder, though, if you're ready for that. I hope that it stirs a passion in you for more of the kingdom of God for the role that you have to play in it. Final thing. We might just be a little hinge in the overall scheme of things, but can I remind you that big doors swing on little hinges. Big doors swing on little hinges. So let's together believe, church, that the power of God is flowing through us. Let's together believe, church, that the doors that the enemy wants to keep closed, that we as the church can open them. Doors to salvation, doors to transformation, doors to revival. The glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom is coming through us, through you and through me. To hear more podcasts from Grace Church Australia, make sure you subscribe and stay connected by going to gracegathering.online.